Sometimes in business and in life, we can find ourselves being innate people pleasers. We proceed by trying to not ruffle any feathers or rock any boats while playing everything we do super safe in order to convey our unwavering likability. And while pouring your awesomeness into the world is usually a good idea, sometimes we can get so lost in our attempt to gain acceptance that we lose ourselves. We lose our voice, we lose our message, we lose our authenticity, and we lose our essence. In the world of branding and marketing, trying to please everyone is not a good strategy. And this is exactly why my friends Natalie and Kira of Merrill Marketing are coming to you today with their message that your brand is not for everyone and that is perfectly okay. In fact, creating a brand that will turn some people away is actually encouraged. And trust me, I know this probably sounds backwards to you. Kira and Nat want you to understand that there will always be haters. There will always be people that judge and reject what you are doing. And you need to get comfy with that if building a strong standout brand and a loyal following is something that you strive for in your business. Nat and Kira are here to give you permission to let go of your need to be liked by everyone so that you can show up in a way that serves your biggest fans while also making space for you and your brand to remain true to your core. In life and in entrepreneurship, you need to remind yourself that you are not capable of pleasing everyone. You are not Nutella. So get ready to let go of all your people-pleasing desires and let's dive into today's episode. You're listening to the Workshop Weekly Podcast, the show where no dream is too big and no topic is too small. Around here, we believe that taking imperfect action rules. So we're creating space for you to dive in and fast track your success one workshop at a time. Now, refill your coffee cup, grab your notebook, and get ready to join in on your weekly training, listen to meaningful conversation, and learn from industry experts. Here's your host, Kelly Lawson. Hello, Natalie and Kira. I am so excited to have you both on the show today. Thank you so much for carving some time out of your super busy schedules to be here. Thanks, Kelly. This is a first for me having two people on the podcast at the same time. So I feel like we're having a party. (laughs) It's a party and you guys are bringing the energy for sure. So I know who you guys are because I internet stalked you before this interview, but maybe not everybody listening knows who you are. So can you take some time to introduce yourselves and your entrepreneurial journey and what it is that you offer the world? Sure. You want to start, Kira? I never want to start. I know. (laughs) I was like, let's show them right away. This is also our first time doing a podcast interview together. We usually divide and conquer and we are trying to make content as a team more these days. So bear with us here. So my name is Natalie Davison. I am obviously Kira's my co-founder. I was a marketing consultant. Kira was a project management consultant and we met on an event we were both participating in. So I was a speaker. Kira was running everything. And I watched her kicking at butt. <laughs> See, already, already I was almost going to swear. I watched her kicking butt and run around there. And I thought, I need to know this lady. And a few months later, we became business partners. And here we are. 
I love it. It's like love at first sight. And being business partners is very much like a marriage. So this is a big deal. Congratulations, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. We're pretty hard at it. <laughs> yeah. So why don't you tell us what you offer, what you do to serve the world? What's your thing? So we help small business owners use their voices through brand communications and content marketing, essentially. We do that in different channels. So we mostly teach marketing. That is our biggest kind of bread and butter. So we have programs like the Marketing Lab, which is a seven-week all-in overview of brand communications and branding and content. Then we have more specific programs. We have a program called Content Camp that digs into content marketing. We have the Live Video Connection that teaches people how to create live video content. So we have these programs that we teach so that we can reach the DIY entrepreneur. And then larger brands will bring us in to work on their brand, whether it's just from a brand communications perspective. Sometimes we'll do full rebrand with our design partner. And if it comes to kind of articulating the value of your organization to your unique audience, that is what we work on. Mm -hmm. Amazing. I can already think about all the people who are going to sign up for your live video course, (laughs) because I think for a lot of us, myself included, it's a terrifying thought to put yourself on live video. You must have like oodles of people signing up for that. Yeah, we actually were going to launch it back in February, January, January yeah. February. Yeah, we finished the program. It's a new program and we finished it in January. We were going to launch it right around end of the month and we got cold feet, believe it or not. One of the things that really was stuck for us is we're really, really dialed into what delivers value to our audience. It's so important to us. And we just weren't sure that we had actually made that connection yet. And then once we found ourselves in a pandemic and all of a sudden everybody was about to start using live video, we went hard and fast to launch. So luckily we had already created the content. So right away, you know, we put out our free webinar to fill the webinar to be able to sell the course. And we had like almost 250 signups. It was unbelievable. And uh, we had a great session. So it's a four week course. We had a great first session just last month. And we're really looking forward to doing it, you know, again and again over the long term. Yeah, so needed. It really is because I think it's such a powerful way to sell your offer, but it's also equally terrifying. Very vulnerable position. Yeah, when Mm -hmm. you're like there and literally because we tell people when we're teaching live video too, it's like whatever you think could go happen probably will eventually. Maybe not all at the same time and maybe all at the same time, but like there's always kind of like a, what are you going to do when something happens on live video? It's not an if. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of time. So as long as you know that eventually something will kind of hit the fan and go sideways, you're like, okay, I just need to be prepared for that and get back on track. But yeah, anything can happen. So it's hard to predict. Okay. We have a whole module called Lives Little Surprises. And it's yeah. literally kind of help people predict all of the things that are going to happen while they're on live video. Oh my gosh, that is an amazing tip. Because sometimes all you need is just that kind of quick response so that you don't spiral out of control. I remember learning once about public speaking that if some somebody's phone rang in the audience or something like that, that it was a good idea to have a quick response to kind of mitigate the tension that that would create. And the thing that the person suggested was saying like, tell them to cut off the artery, I'll be there in five minutes or something like that, just to get the room laughing and moving past it. So solid advice. I'm going to keep my eye out for that live video course because I think I need it. But the reason that I have you guys here today is to talk a little bit about branding and specifically the fact that your brand isn't for everyone. And I immediately loved that sentence because I think it's really an important issue to address because I know I hear entrepreneurs saying things like, I'm scared to put myself out there. 
there, what if people don't like me? And I think, well, they're probably going to be people that don't like you and that's not a bad thing. And so I'm really hoping that you can help convey that to listeners today. It's really interesting you say that. We see it all the time as well with our students, this fear of putting yourself out there and what if people say mean things. And very much like, what if you just operate on this assumption that things are going to go wrong on live video so you can be ready for it? I would love if every small business owner could operate on the assumption that people are going to say mean things to them at some point. Just like, let's just honestly operate in the actual world that we live in instead of the pretend world we wish we lived in. And then we can be ready to be a lot more effective. And so understand when we say your brand is not for everybody, that's truly what we mean. If you are brave enough to articulate, I bring the most value to this person and you want to create a community for this person and this group of people, then you have to understand that community means people feel safe with you. And if people need to feel safe with your brand, that means that there are things that are not going to be involved in your brand. There are people who are, if you're going to make safety for somebody, it's going to feel unsafe to somebody else. And so for us, for example, we use language, feminist language all the time. We call ourselves feminists. We put that out there and we know that that means certain people are not going to work with us because that very word is offensive to them. And that's absolutely perfectly fine because we want women to understand that we are going to fight for their ability to amplify their voices and we're going to teach them how to amplify their voices and we're going to help men do that too but those men that agree that women should have an equal voice and only really those men are welcome absolutely and there's plenty of men who are feminists i mean i'm married to one so they're you know they're out there as well so it's not it's not that it's like a gender bias but it's like a way to speak directly to a really specific demographic so that it resonates and so that it doesn't feel watered down right absolutely mm-hmm. nobody wants to feel like they're everybody we can all think of you know those generic brands that we buy just cuz we have to but we don't feel an emotional connection to them but the ones that we do feel an emotional connection to are those brands that we feel like are speaking directly to us mm-hmm. and that's where you really get this magic relationship is where you have the courage to say hey i'm for you I want to interrupt for a quick sec to tell you about a product that I've recently come across. I have never been a fan of wearing pantyhose. Most of the time after one wash, they would pill and tear. And honestly, it always just felt like an enormous waste of money to own them. Then came Sheertex. The strongest pantyhose in the world delivered right to my door in the cutest little box. Their fibers don't exist anywhere else on the market. They actually miniaturize the fibers used in bulletproof vests to create a knit just as strong as the people who wear them. You basically have to be Hulk to rip these things. And they have quickly converted me into a person that raves endlessly about my shears. I don't want you to miss out. So head over to kellylawson.ca slash sheertex, S-H-E-E-R-T-E-X and use the code kellyslawson10 to save 10% on your new pair of shears today. So before we dive into your tips, because I know you've got like a whole workshop prepared here, I wanted to just talk a little bit about how listeners can deal with haters. Not that I like using that word, but sometimes that's what it feels like. And I know I felt it myself in my own business as well. And they're probably listening, thinking like, okay, how do I deal with this? Like I'm sticking my neck out there. I'm putting my offer out there. I'm feeling a little vulnerable. I'm talking more about my personal life. And then people reject it. How do I deal with that? What advice do you have? 
Well, I think, I mean, personally, I think the first thing to do is have a look at that and figure out, is your buyer persona speaking to you or not? Like, who's who's giving you this advice and what is it? You know, what this uns- unsolicited advice is never comfortable, but sometimes it's helpful. So I think it's really important to try to remove the emotion, step back and hear what's really being said and who is saying it. At no point should your brain become a democracy where everybody you speak to gets a vote because then you, you're not speaking to anybody anymore. And so really give it that context of who's saying it and, you know, do they have some merit here? And I mean, then you have some decisions to make about what you're going to do with that. And the reality is, if that is public, so let's say they post something really mean on your Facebook page. We highly encourage that you respond, but you don't respond for that person. We need to stop giving our energy and our power to the wrong people. And so when we say respond to that negative comment or that negative feedback, don't do it for them. And don't say what you really want to say to them. Say what you want the person who reads it next to see. If your buyer persona was going to come across this communication from you later, what do you want them to see? How do you want them to see you show up? And that's how you respond publicly to it. Because we speak so openly about your brand is not for everybody, we really take a stand on that. I personally like to take any hate mail and save it and then read it when I'm doing a talk and really like put it out there and like really own it and take ownership of it. That's my own personal, that's not my advice for everybody. But mm-hmm. it's interesting how when you own a criticism, you take its power away. Mm-hmm. So if people have to say like, people will say that like my personality is too, too much. I get a lot of that. And so I talk a lot about how my personality is too much. Or how people say that. I talk about it a lot because now I own it. I took the power from that statement. It doesn't hurt anymore. And we can move on. One of the things too is like what we always talk about is just like you mentioned, if anybody is sharing more personal stories or things that they are a bit more vulnerable for them, we always talk to you about anything that you're going to be sharing. Make sure that you're really comfortable sharing that thing. And if it's something that your buyer or your audience can learn from, then that's a really beautiful thing to share to connect with them. But just make sure that it's something that you are comfortable sharing and that it's not something that you haven't already kind of dealt with beforehand. So don't share for the sake of sharing something and being like, look, I have dealt with things too. Share so that it's helpful. But make sure that what you're putting out there is something that you can always stand in and be like, yep, I'm going to stand for this. So that when haters come by and don't like what you stood for, that you still like what you've stood for and that you can still, or you can understand that maybe you can learn more things and grow and change, but the haters can't actually take that away because you did it in confidence and like with affirmation and what you were saying in the first place or what you were doing. To that point, I just, we talk about this a lot with our students, but we live in a time where we are over glorifying, I even hate saying it, but like vulnerability. So people be like, oh my God, you are so vulnerable. Like, you know, that's a really bizarre thing to glorify because it's not necessarily responsible to go share your deep hurt wounds with the world for the sake of what glory you get for making that content or whatever it is. Vulnerability for the sake of vulnerability is not responsible to yourself or your audience and it ends in conflict. So sharing personal stories, like Kira said, so powerful, but only if you've really healed from those situations. Mm-hmm. And speaking out and speaking your truth, yes, we're into that, like only speak the truth, but you don't have to speak the whole truth. You, you know, really, really healed the whole truth. Totally. One of my favorites, Amy Porterfield, she put it really well once and she said, don't show your scabs, show your scars. 
And I thought that made so much sense. So mm-hmm. if you're going to share something vulnerable, well, you got to back that up with like what you've learned and how you overcame it. Because otherwise, you just kind of look like a hot mess. And most people don't really want to buy into that. But I love how you said to respond to haters and always keeping that ideal client or that buyer persona in mind, because that's the person who you're there to serve, not the hater and not yourself. So I think it's just brilliant. And I thought of the example when you were saying it about Jimmy Kimmel and how he does mean tweets. And he gets Mm -hmm. celebrities to read out the mean tweets that somebody tweeted about them in a comical way, because his audience is there to laugh. So I think that's a really good example of what you just said. And it really works. Like I look forward to those every week. Oh, it's such a great example. We have, I was trying to convince our mayor to do it forever. And she recently started, well, last year she started as a charity fundraiser. And so she started read because the other thing that I think is so important, our mayor is a woman. And as a feminist, I really also want people to understand the kind of hate that women get. It's a different level of vitriol than men do. And that's just what's going on. And so the kind of like when she gets hate, it's not at all comparable to what our male mayors and other cities that are comparable are seeing. Like it's personal and it's direct and it is gross. Mm -hmm. And so I always really wanted her to share that in a way that she owned it. And I'm so proud that she has. It's very important that people understand, you know, what's going on here and how we can be supportive of one another. Mm-hmm. And, and it kind of flips things a little bit to make these hateful comments a bit of an opportunity when you think about it. I mean, everybody likes to read lovely things, but sometimes a little controversy gets a little more reach and it's a little bit more interesting to people and it catches their attention. So that's not necessarily always a bad thing, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't subscribe to the philosophy that all attention is good attention for sure. I think, you know, you want to be careful that that you're stepping into an area that you understand exactly what you're doing. But ultimately, yeah, if anything bad happens to me, or if you're ever mean to me, like you can count on the fact that it's going to be content. Like maybe not that day, maybe next year, but like I am going to tell this story somewhere. You better believe it. Like it's just, you know, it's... Because there's lessons in these things and I may not be able to heal right away from that thing. It may hurt for a while, but when it's healed, like that lesson's going to be shared. That's absolutely for sure. And I think it's, that's how we help one another. Totally. And it's an empowering way to look at it, right? Instead of being fearful, it's like, well, okay, if it happens, then where is there an opportunity in this to tell a bigger story to my audience or to serve my audience a little better? We get a hate letter, our first like, what, we were like three months in business. I mean, we yeah. had like so few mm-hmm. hits for our website at the time. It was absolutely ridiculous that someone would come <laughs> a web form and write us like this hate letter, but they did. And it was like, it was deeply personal, but also anonymous, which anonymous, like that's a whole other level of immaturity when it comes to sending criticism to somebody. Mm-hmm. However, we get this hate mail. I'm like, I won't lie. I, <laughs> I was like, I get obsessive about things. Because I can't just, I have to process every ounce of it. I have to feel every feeling I can feel and I have to exhaust all information. And so uh, what that looks like if I get a hate letter is that I like proceed to find out who sent it (laughs) or like as much information as I can. So I proceed to like find crazy, crazy information that I probably shouldn't have been able to find and, you know, really start to like understand, am I safe? Like what is going on here? Like I really need to make kind of some sense of it. But then, I mean, how many times did we read that letter 
Oh my God, all the time. We had a launch party with our first cohort. We have a marketing program, the seven-week marketing lab program. And we had an in-person graduation at the time and we made it into our launch party too. So we launched in January. We had this party in June. And so the two of us are reading, like we're talking about stuff and we're like congratulating our graduates. And then Natalie reads out the hate mail. Like we intertwined it into our entire like talk at that that evening. And it was hilarious. Like she brought such entertainment to it and everybody was just dying laughing. I know, it was hilarious. I mean, like... <laughs> but there are certain words. I think we said one the other day and we both just looked at each other. It was a, like a specific word in the hate mail and it's just like... You're not pioneers. You're not pioneers. Like it was, <laughs> it was ridiculous. But you know, we, we used it to support the point that your brand is not for everyone, and mm-hmm. things are going to happen. Mm-hmm. And we need to talk about it. We need to say, like, hey, I get stupid mail like this too. Don't let it stop you from using your voice. Like mm-hmm. these things happen. They happen mm-hmm. to everybody. Let's just take that as a given, so we can move on. And mm-hmm. on some level, it's proof that you're doing it right, right? Because in the world of marketing, you are going to be attracting people and you're going to be repelling people. And so if none of, if you're not getting any hate mail, maybe you're not doing it well enough, right? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. You know, we hear the analogy, your brand is a magnet. And we always say that means you attract and repel in equal measure. So if that magnet's not very strong, if that energy is not, you know, pulling people in hard, then it's not going to push people away hard either. So that might feel really good. But we want to like, we want people to be like, magnetically attracted to us, which means people are going to like repel in equal polarity. And it's kind of It's kind of like understanding too. It's like sometimes people feel like they can have that strong attraction with the magnet and not have an equal and opposite repel, right? So they want to have that strong attraction, but aren't understanding that it comes with an equal subtraction. So it's like, oh, I want all of the good stuff. It's like, okay, well, if you want people to be so powerfully drawn into your brand that you've got to be comfortable creating those boundaries that force other people out and push them away. You can't have your cake and eat it too in this kind of scenario. You've got to bring it in and push the wrong people away and be comfortable doing that. And mm-hmm. FYI, it isn't easy. It mm-hmm. takes courage. Like I like if someone's listening to this right now being like, oh yeah, but that's too hard for me. Well, it's hard for like this morning I posted about Black Lives Matter on our page and like I will not lie like my stomach hurt doing it it was the right thing to do I posted I'm proud of the words I shared but it's still scary there are tables we're not invited to in our community because we use our voices loudly and we understand like to us it's worth it it's 100% worth it we will never stop doing it but it still sucks like it still sucks to be excluded Mm -hmm. and it's gonna suck but it's also like the upside is it's just unbelievable the depth of impact we can make with the right audience. Absolutely. So I know that there's listeners that are thinking, I don't want to exclude anyone. I don't want to leave that, you know, that's a potential customer, maybe that's potential money into my bank account. I don't want to exclude them. What do you say to those people? I say that you should do what you're comfortable doing. You know, you can't fake it. I mean, if you show up and like, you can't fake this. You can't fake anything in 2020, FYI. Like everybody can see, they know what happened before. Everybody's a publisher. So if somebody comes to us and they're like, you know, oh, that might be a potential customer, then we're like, okay, well, you know what? Keep going and figure it out. But we start this conversation very clearly. First of all, we're not saying that we don't work with men, for example. We're not saying that we have a hard boundary. We're like, sorry, we're not going to work with you. We're saying we create content specifically for a certain audience. And the people that are attracted to us, those are the people that want to work with us. And so we don't chase business. Business 
is attracted to us because we just put out enough content all the time. Business comes our way. And that's what will happen when you start using your voice in whatever magnitude. We're not saying that you need to be posting about social issues like at all. If that's not your brand, if that's not where you spend your time, that's where we spend our time. If that's not for you, you shouldn't. You shouldn't do it. You can't fake it now. So it's really about showing up in a way that you understand who you serve. And that is going to be different for everybody. And we don't think that your brand communications should look anything like ours or the next person's or the next person's. That's the point. I used to feel like I lived in a perpetual Groundhog Day. Every Sunday, I would need to sit down and take time to think about what I would cook for the week, make a list of what groceries I would need to buy, and then go spend hours at the grocery store collecting the ingredients, sometimes needing to visit two or three places to find everything I needed. And still, we felt like we were eating the same meals over and over. Enter HelloFresh. The meals are pre-planned, the groceries are gathered, and everything I need to prepare delicious meals for my family is dropped off at my door once per week. We are discovering new delicious recipes every week. I am getting the hours of meal prep time back. There is no food waste. And best of all, every meal can be prepared in just 30 minutes. Visit kellylawson.ca slash HelloFresh to check out some of my favorite meals and save $40 on your first box. That's kellylawson.ca slash HelloFresh. Okay, so you've prepared some tips and steps for people to kind of dive into this frightening world of creating a brand that's not for everyone. Why don't we talk a little bit about those now? Sure. So what we're going to talk about today is building a buyer persona. And we teach this in the marketing lab. We have a whole module on it. So one whole week essentially devoted to doing the research for buyer personas. Because one of the things that we learned in my background before this is in the agency world as well. Many brands will have a buyer persona and then we will say to them, oh, that's great. How is that built? And then they won't know or they'll say, oh, what I know about my customer or whatever it is. It's made from their own assumptions, which is not really very valuable (laughs) because Mm -hmm. we don't have any selected data and putting that together. And if that's you, the person listening, that's like better than most people who don't even have a buyer persona. So pat yourself on the back and don't be ashamed. Most people do it that way. But we require our students to go and and actually do the work on this so that you can build a buyer persona that has higher value for you. And we do that work by identifying. Now, again, this is not identifying the person who cares about the same social issues necessarily. That's I don't want this conversation to be diluted to that. We're looking for that customer that gets so much value from the way that you show up that if you could replicate them, your business would be way more profitable. That's what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. Everybody has customers that at the end of the day aren't actually very profitable, whether that's because they're taking too much time on customer service issues. Maybe their sales cycle is a lot longer. Maybe you have to spend a lot of time proving yourself to them or convincing them. We spend a lot of time, especially as female entrepreneurs, in the proving state of mind where we're constantly trying to show everybody that we're worth it. That is not a high value interaction. And I think that if you have a business, you can think of that buyer persona right now. You can think of probably one or two customers that you already have that when you show up as yourself, they get so much value from that very thing. That's who we want to replicate. And so in a best case scenario, you have five to 10 of those people and you can go interview them and you build a buyer persona from the habits, behaviors, and motivations that they have in common. If you don't have that yet, if you have one or two, then you do that and then you go find people like them 
that you wish were your customer, but they mm-hmm. share the same kind of, they value the same things, right? And so for us, we show up and we teach people how to use their voices and they're going to be comfortable with the fact that we're going to probably have uncomfortable conversations. People that don't want to have uncomfortable conversations don't sign up for our programs and they know that right away. And it's a pretty special thing because we get full programs of people who are ready to go. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So what kinds of things do you get them to ask these existing customers? What are a few examples of things that you would get them to ask? Well, we have like a template that we're usually based on, but we focus a lot on understanding the buyer and not just about their connection with us, but kind of like, what are they working on? What are they looking forward to? What are they, what are their challenges? So we think of what kind of pain points are they dealing with today that we could maybe help them solve? What are challenges that they're experiencing while they're working towards their big goals that they want to try to achieve that we still can have like an effect on? What are some buying motivations or buying concerns that they'd have when it comes to getting into a relationship with us or like buying a product or a service from us? But we want to understand, you know, pieces of them, but some of the questions are never really written down. So you give the starter. So we we give everybody that we work with like, okay, here's a template of like 10 questions or something and start with those. But why is like the biggest question you can ask on every single thing that your buyer persona interview interviewee like responds back. So we always advocate for having at least phone call conversations, like the voice to voice. We don't like surveys as much. We don't like, oh, here's an email of all these questions. Can you just write them out? We don't like that because you don't get the chance to speak with the person that you're interviewing and hear the things that you can't read, right? So we'll ask a question and maybe they'll answer like, oh, what? What's your online activity? And they'll be like, oh, I spend a lot of time on Facebook. And we can literally like, okay, why? Why do you spend a lot of time on Facebook? Okay, what are you doing there? What are you engaging with? Something as simple as your social media activity, we can ask layers of questions to understand more about what they're doing. And the more we get to ask and gather data, the more valuable we can make this buyer persona because then we get to understand how to create content geared towards their pain points or how to create content for their challenges. We can understand where they spend time on social so we can show up in the areas that they spend time and be able to give them the value that they need in that moment for what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. I totally get it. I, by the way, love geeking out on marketing conversations. Like I I get it, I'm a photographer, but like this stuff winds me right up. So recently I learned about kind of the external motivators versus the internal motivators. So in my case, I'm teaching people how to take a beautiful photograph and Mm then start asking these questions, why? root of it, right? So the most obvious reason is, well, because I want to learn how to use my camera. Okay, why? Well, so I can take a pretty photo. Okay, why? Well, I want my Instagram to look bitchin'. Okay, why? Because <laughs> I care about what other people think about me and I'm working yeah. it this way. So uh-huh. it really gets you right down into the core of it, right? So then you're hitting on the feels. You're not hitting yeah. on features. Yeah. I love it. I'm, it I'm really also excited. gives what you're working on a lot more depth when you can understand why you are doing it, like the things that you're trying to fill out for yourself and you need to understand those for your buyer so you can know how they operate and how they tick, sometimes maybe better than they realize at the time. And that's what makes your knowledge base so valuable. It's mm-hmm. so interesting you say that, Kira. Like, okay, so our marketing lab, for example, it's this kind of like full program that teaches you a lot. It's a big time commitment. We're talking like four to five hours a week for seven weeks. 
And we really dig in with people. We call it the marketing lab and we actually keep our copy pretty surface level, I would say, like when we're selling the program, because what actually happens in the marketing lab, I just don't think people would buy. (laughs) Like nobody articulates these things as a problem, right? So when we get in the marketing lab, what do we do? We teach people how to actually make better decisions. We teach people how to say no. We teach people how to trust their instincts. We teach people how to listen. Nobody's buying that. They're buying marketing, right? Mm-hmm. They, like they're okay and they're comfortable and they come in with this definition of what marketing is in business. But we believe almost everything's marketing. Marketing is just getting humans to take action. That's all it is. We need to stop being so dramatic about it and stop acting like it's reserved for certain people. Almost everybody's a marketer. Moms are marketers and they're trying to get their kids to eat. Like we're all doing the work. Yeah. We all know how to do it, but we're dramatic about whether we're good at it because like business has given us these definitions of what that means. And the reality is, I'm sure you know, many, many effective marketers come out of nowhere and you're like, where did that person come from? Oh, they've been learning this their whole life. Like, you know, we're born doing. Absolutely. Totally. And like, yeah, anybody who's a parent listening, like, you know that every day you are marketing to your child. I don't know how many mm-hmm. times, right down to the fact that like, I learned this little skill. I mean, I was previously an occupational therapist. So technically we were kind of learning marketing back then, but just learning simple things like instead of asking my son to eat carrots, I could say something like, would you like carrots or would you like cucumbers? <laughs> that way I know. Oh, Have you guys seen my new website? It's pretty gorgeous. And if I know you, you're probably feeling like your website isn't as good as you'd like it to be. And you're struggling a little to find the perfect solution. Well, my friend, I have some advice for you. Get a tonic site. Until I discovered tonic, I was on that struggle bus too. And my tonic site has forever changed the way I show up online and in my business. Tonic sites are completely customizable. They're code free and built with all the best marketing strategies in mind. It's time for you to have a site that looks just as good and probably even better than others in your industry so you can finally stand out in a way that's perfectly unique to you. And today I'm giving you that extra little nudge that I think you've been waiting for. Save 15%. That's up to $200 on your new site. Just go to kellylawson.ca slash tonic site to find your perfect site and use the code Kelly Lawson to save 15% on your gorgeous new site today. So what's your next tip? Okay, so that's, you know, step one is really figuring out, asking those questions, getting the the right people. So I guess that's step one and step two together, really, is getting that right subset of people, the ones. And again, you don't have to limit the people you sell things to, to this list of people. It's just that you're creating a persona that you're making content for. You're writing to them every single time. And real quick tip as well, when you're doing your interviews and you have this person that you're having this live conversation with, record exact language. If we say buyer persona and you say ideal customer avatar, which Amy says, then there's going to be this weird little disconnect. But the more often you can use the words that are already programmed in that person's mind, then there's less decoding for them to do and less work for them to do. And your messages absorb so much faster. So really, really try to mirror language as much as possible. Then finally, you just start aggregating that data into a set and looking for patterns. So we had a client this morning who's in the marketing lab. We're, We're in a cohort right now. And uh, we have a Facebook group that's closed for this cohort. And he came in this morning. He's like, oh, wow. He's like, I always thought the name of our organization didn't really create value for anybody. But I thought, who cares about a name? And then I interviewed our buyer persona. And I asked them all, if you could change one thing, what would it be? And they were all like, the name. 
I mean, wow. oh yeah. Like, like think about the courage it takes to tell a business that their name is like that much of a problem for you. Like, you know, for, if people are going to tell you something's a problem, it takes a lot of courage for them to say that. Like that's not the first time they've thought of it. So these people have now been wrestling for a while with the fact that they don't like the name of this business. <laughs> and it's not just one person now. He's seen this across a data set. So he's aggregated the data. Now mm-hmm. you really know how, who to listen to. So mm-hmm. earlier when we were saying, what do you do with feedback? Well, this is exactly the point. You go looking for it so you know exactly what's on the mind of the people that matter the most to your brand, the audience that you're trying to serve, so that if some kind of like left field thing comes in, you know that you can kind of table it. And that's exactly the work he's doing. So if a random person said, I don't like the name, well, he you know, could have ignored it. But if his buyer persona is telling him over and over and over that this is a problematic communication, now he's going to face that. Yeah, and it's time to pay attention now. That's like, it. In the lab too, we always, we recommend that anybody that's coming through any of the cohorts, they interview at least five to 10 people. So that they, cause some people won't be able to, so if they can reach out to like 10 people, then they'll definitely be able to interview at least five of them. And so it's like, yeah, just like Nat said, it's a combination of your clients that you love working with now and people that you'd like to work with in the future that you think would fit in. But we guarantee it's like, it's not easy work because it takes, there will be people that are getting on the phone and their phone's ringing and their stomach is just turning and turning and they just are like oh my gosh I don't want to be doing this but it's so worth it I guarantee that if you can get through at least five interviews it's like a guarantee that you're going to find information out about your buyer persona that you never knew existed before and be able to see these commonalities and threads and just have these aha moments so even if you're like oh I already know everything about my buyer persona well then challenge yourself to see if you're right (laughs) And take the interviews anyway and complete them and get that data together. And sometimes there'll be pieces that you'll have an interview and there'll be something that's kind of left field on like one of their responses or something. And you're like, okay, don't anchor in on that if it's not the same as the rest of your buyer persona interviews. Like find the common threads and then run with those. Absolutely. And I think it's amazing, like even just the syntax like you talked about, because I do buyer persona interviews too, because I'm a marketing geek. And some of the things that I've learned, so I have a product photography course, for example, and I call it product photography. But I learned from doing these interviews that the people who I'm targeting call those photos website worthy photos. And that is like a sentence that I would have never used before. But now in terms of thinking about like, okay, well, what are they putting in Google when they want to know how to uh-huh. take a better uh-huh. photo? They're not putting in, I need to take better product photos. They're putting in, how do I take a website worthy photo? It completely changed everything for me. It changed my copy. It changed the way I talk about it. It makes a lot of sense to do it. And I never would have thought of that if I didn't do an interview. Like the goal here when you're creating brand communications is to be able to answer whatever they're Googling in the dark, I say, which means the things they're not even going to ask you. Like Mm -hmm. if you can figure out the stuff that's on their mind that they're not ready to say out loud because we all like pre-figure it out, right? We don't just show up to a brand and ask a question. I mean, we're spending hours of time online figuring out our own like attitudes towards that question before it even comes out of our mouths. So if you can be creating content that's earlier in the buyer's journey, that's answering those problems. Now you're holding their hand as they get to the purchase stage. You've been the person who guided them the whole way. And that's what you get from a great buyer persona. Absolutely. And I love the point of aggregating the data too, because you will definitely see those one-offs and you can't just take that circumstantial evidence and run with it because it could be just one person's random thoughts. But as soon as you've got 10 people kind of Mm -hmm. these recurring themes, it makes a lot of sense. 
Right. Mm -hmm. Leadership comes down to clarity and consistency. We're quoting our friend Mark Bowden. I quote it all the time because I've never heard anything that made more sense. And the truth of that is like when I say leadership comes down to clarity and consistency, we follow those who are clear and consistent. The people who have the courage to keep saying the same thing in different ways over and over and over. You can't do that if you are listening to everyone else. I think that like, you probably see this, Kelly, in the online education space, because you have courses, we have courses. There are a lot of people offering fill in the blank and here's a business type solutions. Mm-hmm. That is a really tough way to run your business because you're not, you're now listening to a course creator instead of your audience, right? There has to be input there from the people you serve, not just the one successful guru whose course you bought. And we really need to figure that out. It is no secret at all that I love to shop. When I find something I love, I buy it in every color and I live in it. Generally speaking, I dress for casual style and comfort, but I also invest in pieces that go with everything else in my closet. I guess I'm a lover of leverageability in all areas of life. I get asked a lot where I got my clothing items and I try to tag these products as I post them online. But for those of you that want to get a better look at what I'm adding to my capsule each season, head to kellylawson.ca slash mystyle. I'll add the latest and greatest fashion items as I find them and link to the best deals I can find. So make sure you check in regularly and happy shopping workshop warriors. So I have this thought that I think people are listening to this and thinking, okay, but what does this all look like in terms of how I'm showing up online? Because I know I see it in my feed, like a lot of selling, just a lot of selling all the time. And I know that some of the people who resist posting things about their personal life or otherwise are thinking, well, I don't have anything that's that exciting to share. I don't even know what to share. Like, what do people care about? What do you have to say about that? I have to say that humans are wired for emotional connection. And emotional connection leads to economic outcomes. So if you can create emotional connection with your audience, then you are going to outperform your competitors statistically by 86% roughly. That's like from the Disney Institute a few years ago. But mm-hmm. I think that's, that's exactly what's happening. We all, every person listening has a brand that they have an emotional connection to. If you're listening to this podcast, that brand is Kelly Lawson. Like you have an emotional connection. That's why you're spending your time listening to this. And the people listening to this, they know you're going to run some ads. They know you're going to monetize this and they're totally fine with it. In fact, they're probably happy to support you because they have an emotional connection. That's because you show up and make them content. Listeners, you have to do that too. Like just what Kelly's doing right here. That you can't sell if you haven't given value or they nobody cares. Mm-hmm. You have to give them a chance to care about you so they want to buy what you're selling. Well, thank you for using me as an example. I feel right flattered now. But (laughs) the one thing that I was wondering too is like just maybe a little bit more tactical if people are listening and they're thinking like, well, okay, how do I know what I say other than what I have for sale? Like, will it look tacky? Will I look like I'm just trying to force a vulnerability? How do I know what that is? How do I know what that is? So, I mean, okay, we actually have a template. I wasn't planning on doing this one right now, but we do have a template on our website that you can download. It's 10 days of social media prompts, and they are 100% geared around starting to share your personal story. So there are prompts for like, what kind of an image should you share? Here are some questions to get your copy flowing, and then what kind of call to action you can wrap with. So we'll give you the link to that, Kelly, at the end. You can put it in the show notes if you want. But essentially, it it's geared around helping people start to share more because we hear this all the time. And once you do, 
and you see your audience connect to it and you get their responses and they engage with it, it's going to inspire you to do it again. So whether is it a simple intro post where you're like, hey, I'm Natalie, I'm the co-founder here and I like long walks on the beach and the reason I like marketing is because blah, 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 like whatever. I got good marks in marketing in university. Whatever the reason is, you give people a little something to connect to, they respond to it, you will feel that. I mean, it's just, it's an energy exchange. And so a lot of it is pushing past the discomfort, trying it and then allowing yourself to let that be a habit. Absolutely. One of the other guides too that I think Natalie, you're just chatting with this to a client last week is this idea of quadrants. And so it's like if you're selling, you should theoretically, in our opinion, and the opinion of Gary Vaynerchuk is to sell once for every three or more gives that you or values you're offering your audience, right? So we think of this quadrant. So if 25% of the time you're selling, then you've got 75% of the time that you should be posting about other things. So maybe when you complete your buyer persona interviews, you know a lot more about your buyer persona. And maybe they actually have a shared value with you or there's a shared interest. There's something there that you can actually connect on with your buyer. And you can put that in one of the quadrants. And then you can fill in another quadrant, another quadrant. So you've got your selling, and then maybe you found out your buyer persona loves dogs and you happen to also have a dog. So maybe 25% of the time, you could also talk about your dog and things that you do with them and going for walks. Like you can start introducing content in these kind of quadrants that fits with your buyer persona after you've done your interviews so you can understand that. So you can cycle through. So you've kind of got like a selling piece because you've got to sell to be able to earn money, to keep your business running, keep your life going. But then there's these pieces of connection. So filling in those other three spots with those shared interests or shared values with your buyer persona. Yeah, Absolutely. You should have a shared value of interest for sure. And that's just for fun, honestly. Like you can create content for fun. Entertainment value is still value. Mm-hmm. And we get too dramatic about like giving people away these like epic pieces of content all the time. Sometimes it can be just, you can be lighthearted. Like if that's your brand, go love it. Like enjoy yourself. Yeah. People just, at the end of the day, people just want to be entertained. You know, that's what we're all in it for. And I think I remember reading once and like, what is it? 67% of stats are made up. Um, <laughs> something like 99% of the time, I guess. And of course, it's going to depend on what you're selling and who you're selling it to. So there's going to be a lot of variability there. But the majority of the time, when a person lands on your content, they're not ready to buy the thing that you're selling. So what is it that you're going to nope. offer them that helps them to know, like, and trust you and think of you when they are potentially ready to buy the thing that you're selling? Exactly. And we really want to find when you're doing your buyer persona interviews, we really want to find that intersection of who you are. So whether you're a solopreneur or you have a team of 10, like brands are just groups of people who are exchanging value with other humans, right? So ultimately, if you're a group of 10, well, then, you know, you have some commonalities there in your culture. And that's the identity we're looking at. But what's the intersection between the identity in your brand and the business, like of who's really there and what's happened there and what your buyer persona values. And when you bring those two things together, and you can find a few points of commonality, that's where the magic happens. So yeah, we care about feminism, we care about women's rights, but also our buyer persona has a really hard time using her voice. And why? Because she's been systematically told her whole life that good girls are quiet and they make everybody comfortable. So we will make some people uncomfortable so that she feels like she can start to explore. I can't think of any of our clients or maybe only a couple who are actually vocal like we are about some of the issues. But what they know is that we are going to protect 
their right to use their voice. And we're going to create a safe space for that. And that is, that's what we promise them because that's what they've articulated that they need. Mm -hmm. I love it so much. I like could talk about this for another 16 Mm -hmm. hours. No, no. (laughs) Um, But I'm wondering now what you can tell me about sort of now that listeners have had a chance to listen to everything that we just talked about and process thinking about how they would implement this into their own business, what's sort of like the one piece of advice that you have of something that they can do when they're finished listening to this today to kind of get started with creating a brand that is going to really attract people and also potentially repel people? They should, once they finish listening to the podcast, they should just continue listening to their buyer and listening to their audience, and listening to that person that they want to attract more of. You don't need to get the advice and the opinions of the people that you can actually bring the most value to. Get the opinions and the information from the people you want to serve better, and serve over and over and over. Just keep listening. So (laughs) find them on Facebook, stalk them. It's all good. Yes. (laughs) All in the name of research. Absolutely. There's no creeping happens here. We're just always researching. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So we call creeping researching. (laughs) Well, I'll make sure that I include a link to your free resource. It sounds amazing. We're going to download it myself as soon as we're finished here in the show notes. And I can't thank you both enough for taking the time to chat with me here today. I had a lot of fun. It really did feel like a party. The time <laughs> flew by, that's for sure. Sure did. And now you know what it's like to interview two people. Ah, we did it. <laughs> Thank you both. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks, Kelly. Wow. Nat and Kira bring so much energy and wisdom to the conversation that I feel like we could talk for days. I sincerely hope you learn from them today and that you are going to move forward knowing that you can't please everyone and it is perfectly okay. In business, if you're always keeping your ideal client in mind, you will have the confidence to know what to say and when to say it and be a-okay with the fact that some people aren't going to like it. In fact, you can take comfort in knowing that when people who are not your ideal clients don't like what you're doing, it's a sign that you're probably doing it right. I hope you had as much fun listening as I did conversing with these two ladies. And don't forget to head over to the show notes at kellylawson.ca slash 018 to learn how you can connect with Nat and Kira and join their programs. And until next time, Workshop Warriors, keep on attracting and repelling with your brand while slaying your biggest goals. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Workshop Weekly Podcast, the show where no dream is too big and no topic is too small. If you like our show and want to know more, check out www.theworkshopweekly.com or leave a review on iTunes. And we'll see you next week for another action-packed episode, you Workshop Warrior, you.